Hello. Hi there, room one, and welcome to 2022. Um, my name is Jess, Jess McMichael. I am a professional life coach and an orthopedic surgeon. Kelly Casperson and I are the um, force behind Room One Coaching, and we are absolutely over the moon excited to bring you so many new changes, new content, new um, new structures and processes for helping you to manage your lives, um, and hopefully, in that process you will have the opportunity to really dig deep into finding out who you are, what really, really sparks joy for you, what makes you tick, and then learning how to focus on those things and harness those things and kind of become more aligned with those things so that your experience of the world is as good as it can be. Um, I'm just gonna talk a little bit and we'll see if anybody joins us. Um, I was just thinking as I started the video here, I'm thinking, well, I think 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time might be a terrible time to, to have these sessions because it's dinner time, like all over. So um, I think I'm going to have to really dig deep and figure out a better time for the group um, for meeting. So if people come, that's great. If not, that's fine too, because I have a list of things I wanted to share with you all. And of course, we'll put all of this content up for you to listen to later. Oh, I just got this shirt at Target and I just realized it's got some serious cleavage happening. So let me just adjust myself there. Okay. Um, great. So let me kind of dive in. Um, Maybe how I'll start is just kind of talking a little bit about my own year in review, 2021. It was a really awesome year. Um, it was like our first full year of room one, and it was an opportunity to really step into a different identity because I really embody the identity of orthopedic surgeon, um, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when you embody that identity, um, that can kind of become a bit of a limiting factor for you to be able to even identify other things in the world that might um, really kind of resonate with you or kind of give you that light, that sort of like light up feeling. So the year in review was really, um, you know, reflecting back was figuring out the things that I love the most. Number one, I really love regulating my nervous system. And I came up with some key things that I do. I talk about a lot. Number one, taking baths with Epsom salts. They're my favorite. Yesterday I took two baths. I was on call and I was just all about it. I'm like bath number one in the morning, bath number two in the evening. And it was fantastic. Um, I love sleep. I have totally and unapologetically prioritized my sleep. I know what time I need to go to bed and what time I need to make up, wake up for me to feel optimal. Um, so I used to think I need to stay up later to get stuff done, or I need to get up earlier to get stuff done. And I just decided to flush all that shit down the toilet. And now I know exactly what I need. And it turns out I actually need a lot of sleep. So I make sure I get at least eight hours, if not nine or even 10 hours of sleep a night. Um, as long as I'm not on call, obviously. Uh, I really kind of tuned in with my love of teaching residents and my love of learning. And with the love of learning came um, really diving into this trauma coaching certification, which has just completely blown my mind and just like re like sort of, it's like having all of your previous understanding kind of get like put into the washing machine and get sort of jumbled up and then put into the dryer and get dry. And then now we've got these really great clean clothes. I just, um, really I'm almost done with the course and I cannot wait to be able to share with you all some strategies I'm learning because I think this trauma piece is kind of like the missing link 
with helping to kind of connect the mind and the body. So there'll be more on that to follow later in the year. Um, and the final thing that was kind of like the triumph of the year is, and it clicked like really towards the end, like towards end of November, beginning of December. Um, after my mom was diagnosed with cancer, she got through a really big surgery. And so there's some stressful shit going on. Um, and I think that was kind of the thing that really helped open the door for me to really communicate with my husband, what my needs are. And I realized I was not doing that like ever for the past 10 years, I have not been communicating my needs to him and haven't felt like I could or had a voice to do it. And, um, anytime I would, it would be very passive aggressive, which is not really useful. And I was always the one who would withdraw. And so if I needed something, I would just withdraw and shut down and not, and not kind of go move toward the relationship. And I'm telling you, um, figuring out what I need and then learning how to ask for it has been huge. And all it was, was just loads of practice, loads of just going for it. Despite the fact that I was scared out of my mind every single time to vocalize something I needed, it was just over and over and over again. And now the level that our relationship is at is so, so much better because we are able to kind of like get ourselves sort of on a similar wavelength. And we now have this trajectory where we're kind of working. It's like, we're co-creating a little bit in the relationship rather than kind of, kind of bouncing against each other, which is what it had been for quite some time. So that was it. And all it was, was just a year of like every day practicing these tools, whether or not I was doing it in my mind or writing it down, it didn't matter. It was just every day was practice, 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 practice. And it was practice being aware of my feelings, number one, and then being aware of my thoughts and then understanding the connection between the two and giving myself so much latitude for thinking and feeling anything and not judging it. So that, that was really huge was just like learning how to stop judging all of the processes because they're freaking normal. They're just normal for everybody to have these things. And so, um, that was that. Okay. So now that we have a few people on, I will dive into a couple changes. Well, let me first review our procedures. We have some new, um, students, some new surgeons with us who are going to embark on this journey and, um, they're joining room one. So I'm just going to review a few things like procedures for these sessions. Number one, um, we really want to prioritize people's privacy and, you know, you don't have to keep things private, but we really want to provide the opportunity for you to keep things private. So for you to stay private, we, the only thing we can't do is disguise your voice. Um, but if you want to rename yourselves, go ahead and do that. Otherwise Kelly or I will try to remember to rename you before we bring you on for, um, for coaching. You also have the option to keep your video off. And in fact, the way the webinars are set up are with the, um, the attendees with the video off. So um, next, just a couple updates. We have a new website because our VA is phenomenal and we have uh, room1coaching.com. It's beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And the, all the membership stuff is live. It should be live. I actually didn't check it this morning, but um, you'll be able to go there now and get everything. But we're going to keep the old website up for probably through January, just so that people are able to get their content. Um, and we don't want you to have to have a deadline to figure out how to go over to the new website. But the new one is room1coaching.com. Um, we're going to add a couple things this year. We're going to bring in some group coaches, kind of sprinkle them probably at least one per quarter. We have somebody lined up for negotiations. Um, we're talking about bringing the charting coach back and also maybe even having a sex coach. Um, I know Kelly is our resident sex coach, um, but she's got some connections uh, in that 
space. And uh, I'm certainly interested in that, but more to follow there. We're planning on um, having cheat sheets. I've already made the January cheat sheet. It's just not, I just need to put the logo on some finishing touches and I'll load that up to our website as well as our uh, Facebook group, Room One Facebook group. But the idea behind the cheat sheet is just to provide a little bit of structure for people if you want it. Um, just some 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 way to have like a, a prompt you could have daily or weekly to kind of do some of this coaching work and nothing onerous, nothing that's going to be on your to-do list, but it's just for people who want a little bit more structure there. Um, of course, we still have our private and public podcast, and then we'll be updating all the information on the website as well as on the Room One Facebook page. So be sure to check that out if you're lacking um, information. Um, this year, instead of having one monthly topic, which we kind of didn't even do the topics that we had set up last year was kind of um, unstructured. This year, we're going to do something a little more structured where we um, break it up into quarters and it'll be mind, body, spirit, and work. And as we all know, they're all interconnected. So you can't really talk about one without the other. Um, and so it's not like we're going to forget about the rest of them during the quarter, say we're going to talk about the mind of this first quarter. It's just in an effort to help sort of constrain a little bit of the psychoeducation that we're providing. Okay. Is everybody with me? I'll just pause there because I have been talking and uh, I'll start asking if anybody has anything they want to get coached on while you think about that, either raise your hand or put something into the chat. And then I'm going to keep going with just a, a little bit more of that psychoeducation part for our newcomers. And then we'll hopefully dive into some coaching here. Okay. So since we're going to be talking about the mind in our first quarter, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the brain. Um, we've all been to medical school, so we've all done our neuro um, like neurology rotations. We all had to do neuro in the didactic part, but for coaching purposes, it's easy. It's easier in my mind to think, um, like a little bit more simply. So our brains exist to make sense of the world. So we observe, we take in information through our senses and that information goes up to the brain. And then our brain basically makes a narrative. It creates a story about what is in our environment. So with that, we're having thoughts and okay. Don't worry about that. My friend, we, um, so we just had somebody pop into the chat. I will, I will do that for you this time around. Um, don't worry. Um, uh, okay. So we have 60 plus thousand thoughts per day. It's absolutely crazy. They're not very neat. They're not coming in this like nice itemized fashion. It's usually like a frenzy or a storm and all these thoughts happening kind of simultaneously. And it can kind of be hard to understand what you're thinking at any given time because, because they come like that. And because our brain's just basically creating a story to interpret our environment, some of what our thoughts that are generated, some of those thoughts are actually true. And very often they're not true. It's just stuff our mind is making up to make sense of things that are going on. So with this coaching thing, one of the first steps is gaining awareness that the thoughts are coming like that. And then just trying to start to tease them apart and see what is actually a fact, what is actually truthful, what is actually a story, um, and we're trying to do that without judgment, because um, if we beat ourselves up about what we're thinking, then that's just going to layer on all the shame and stuff that is basically not necessary because it's just a human function for our brains to do this. It's like our brains are a giant processor. So interestingly, thoughts, especially ones that are unconscious, uh, that are not readily available to us can kind of coalesce to into belief systems. And these belief systems that we have really start to form when we're kids and they can form from all sorts of stuff, particularly, um, particularly when 
we are young and in our families of origin. And so the trauma piece can come in here. If we don't have um, healthy belief systems in our parents or our siblings or our grandparents or um, the family around us, we basically just absorb other people's belief systems naturally. We absorb messaging and social conditioning and these in, when we internalize these messages about how we should look, how we should talk, how we should, what we should do with our lives, how we should care for other people, how we should or shouldn't care for ourselves. And all of that stuff is bubbling beneath the surface of our conscious mind. But the tricky thing about our belief systems is, is they basically act as a filter. So if I believe something about myself, like I believe I'm not an athlete, we'll, we'll start with something like that. Like if I believe I'm not an athlete, then my brain will filter out all the information that's coming in that would suggest I'm an athlete. So it only allows me to stay focused on the things that prove to me I'm not an athlete. And you can fill in the blank with anything, any belief you might have about yourself. So you can see how limiting that might be if your belief system is acting as a filter and it's not letting you, it's filtering out all information that's contrary to the belief. Um, next our brains are wired for negative bias. And so this is an evolutionary adaptation and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It's just not really necessary at this point. And then on top of that, our training and the way we conduct ourselves in surgery is also reinforcing negative bias. So all negative bias really is, is us, um, being able to discern between good and bad in the environment. So like poisonous berry not poisonous berry, saber-toothed tiger den, you know, um, not saber-toothed tiger den. It was, it, it's been in place for hundreds of thousands of years in an effort to keep human beings alive. So now that negative bias is still present. It's been conserved over all those years and we don't have those immediate threats. Our threats take a different form now. Um, and so of course, when we're engaging with our environment, we automatically will go to like negative thinking. So it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. In fact, your brain's working. Um, and finally, um, our nervous systems is wired up. It's not just the mind, it's the brain and the body and it's connected and it's like a circuit. So there's this top down flow of information out to the body. And then the body then will send information back. And we know this in our afferent, efferent nervous system. So what we're going to do throughout this year is try to um, focus in on some of these different areas and help you learn processes to um, really find the authority that you have in your life and get you out of a position of feeling like you're in the passenger side of the car of life and really get you more into the driver's side so you can be in charge, in charge of how you spend your time, in charge of um, what kind of work you do and to what degree you do it, in charge of any goal you want to reach, in charge of, um, you know, any future plans, um, you name it. We want you to be in charge of your life to the extent that you're able to live your life to the fullest rather than be in survival mode. All right. Now, finally, is the model. The model is what we use. It's our primary tool. It's not the only tool, but it's the one that I think is the most useful when you're starting to develop some of these habits of gaining awareness. So we'll use the model in real time here as we coach somebody. Um, but briefly, the circumstances is the observable world around us. They trigger us to have thoughts. Our, our thoughts is what our brain is doing to kind of create a story about the reality. Our thoughts basically then create our feelings in our body. Our body drive us to act or react or not act. And then our actions kind of accumulate to form our reality. The reality though, ties back to the thought. It's what the thought is focused on, not what the circumstance is focused on. And that's really critical. Okay, that was a lot. Let's take a breath. I could feel myself getting a little jacked because this is very exciting to me. Alrighty, we have somebody who has her hand raised. I'm gonna rename you.
two. Super star. Alrighty, my friend. Superstar is now renamed. Superstar said, I want, I wanted to talk about how to handle hostile work environments, gaslighting, especially in male-dominated surgical fields. You got it. So Superstar, what we'll do now is if you feel comfortable, I'm going to allow you to talk and then you can give us some information about what's going on. Okay, Superstar, your video is off is as it should be, and you should be able to talk now. You just let her rip. Hi, Jessica. Great. Thank you so much um, for okay. setting the <clears throat> scene for us. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit on how to kind of handle these, um, I guess, hostile work environments where I'm sure it's not new to anyone who's been working in a surgical field, mm -hmm. um, but things that which I feel is, and maybe I'm just noticing it more the longer I've been in practice and didn't, maybe I was more naive to this when I was in training and maybe more shielded. Um, but I guess, you know, the little comments you like, oh, you did a really nice job for a woman or, um, oh, you are okay in the operating room because you're a woman, right? Like little comments like that, that just kind of um, continue to occur. Um, and kind of even from other um, female, not even colleagues, but coworkers, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in the operating room, when if I ask for something versus my male resident or male fellow asks for something, they are acknowledged by the female scrub tech circulating nurse. Whereas mm -hmm. when I ask for it, it's kind of ignored. Okay. Um, is there something that has happened, like a specific example of this that's happened to you in your recent memory? Um, yes. So within the last couple of months, and I'm probably mid-career, so okay. in the last couple of months, I was called by a um, consulting service to assist in the operating room. So on arrival in the operating room, everyone was just standing there waiting for me to arrive to assist with this surgery. Mm -hmm. And when I asked um, about certain trays being opened for my portion of the surgery for my instruments, the scrub tech, um, basically, I mean, they basically said, no, nothing has been open for the last 15 minutes because I was mm -hmm. finishing in another OR mm -hmm. and the scrub tech, um, mocked me physically, um, by like giving me attitude and sass, like kind of sticking his hand on his hip and like jutting out his hip. Um, and was like, no, nothing has been done. Um, and so it, this was, um, witnessed by multiple trainees that were in the room, mm -hmm. um, which I found quite appalling because the two surgeons, so, um, the two surgeons that called for help were both two male surgeons. And this, this is an elderly scrub, male scrub tech. Okay. And being, even though I'm not new to the institution, to the field, um, I, I don't work with a lot with this particular service. And so I don't know, maybe he didn't know, um, but he gave me a lot of attitude. And I think this happens not infrequently where I look, I've been blessed with good genes. So I look young and um, I don't know who he thought I was or why he felt the need to do that, but I had to ask the charge nurse to remove him from the operating room. Okay. This is such an awesome thing to talk about. So thank you so much. Um, and this gives us a really great opportunity to do a model. Are you familiar with the model? A little bit. I've listened and watched to some. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, for remove scrub tech. I like to use this whiteboard um, 
so that people can kind of see the model. And, uh, also because I like to, um, save it at the end and then post it if we need to. Okay. So just to review you, what you just did was a thought download about this instance that happened to you recently. Mm -hmm. And what I wrote up in the circumstance was as kind of basic as I could make it without the editorialization that you inevitably do. That's what we all do. And it's probably true. Like, I don't want to like sit here and tell you, no, they weren't doing this because I'm sure they were, but for our brains in an effort to kind of tease things apart, I think making it a little more bland for the circumstance line is useful. So Mm -hmm. what I, what I put in the circumstance line, and I just want you to tell me if you think this is accurate and that I was hearing you properly, you were called to the OR to assist two male surgeons. You asked for the trays uh, or if the trays were open and the male elderly, I didn't write elderly, but male elderly scrub tech said, no, they're not. And gestured by putting his hand on his hip. Yes, that's pretty accurate. And so you also, in the description, you said a um, few different thoughts there. And so I just want you to pick one, like, what do you think is like the predominant thought that's in your mind? that you were thinking then? I was thinking, wow, this scrub tech is trying to bully and belittle me. And what feeling does thinking that thought create for you? Do you, if, if you recall what you felt at the time, that's great. Or if you can kind of think about it now, and <laughs> what comes up for you? I mean, I feel like I, every time I think about it, I still get angry and not just on my behalf because the trainees witnessed it. And then afterwards, I did debrief a little bit with some of the trainees who, you know, um, a lot of them were women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it just makes me angry because then I heard how this had been done to them. And part of the anger was also frustration because this is obviously um, allowed in my department because this is, it, it was not new behavior by this person. Okay. So from that feeling of angry, then you already mentioned one thing that you did. Like you Mm -hmm. acted and you asked the charge nurse to remove the scrub tech. Mm -hmm. Um, What else did you do? Well, I wrote it down. I made a, almost like a journal entry into on paper for myself Mm -hmm. to document the events of the day, because I, um, like most people, I cannot remember all of the details um, even a week later. So I just wrote it all down. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when you spoke with the trainees, was that, were you still feeling angry when you spoke with the trainees, when you did the debrief? Um, I wasn't angry with them, but I, um, was, I guess, angry slash frustrated that this behavior was still tolerated by, um, my actual colleague and by my department as a whole, because um, it seemed that this had happened. And then part of the other thought and action that didn't happen was even though I wrote everything down, I don't feel comfortable going to my direct boss and then the chair of my department because this has all been kind of brushed under the rug in the past. And then you're labeled as the problem person. Um, okay. So basically you held back. Right. Right. So I held back um, parts of it, which is why I wrote it all down for myself. I thought about, I actually debated about sending it, um, but then decided against it because when I've seen it before when somebody would mention something, they were labeled as the problem person and then almost become, so the victim then becomes even more of a victim. So Mm -hmm. to me, it felt like the abuser is then further abused. 
Okay. Um, sometimes in the action line stuff that we do is Mm -hmm. internal. Like we'll have a thought loop at play. We'll, Mm -hmm. we'll replay the events over and over again. We'll, um, sometimes we'll blame ourselves. Sometimes we'll blame other people. Sometimes we judge ourselves or judge other people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in that thought loop, it's like ruminating. Sometimes we'll start like inventing, like what would happen if like go through what if scenarios, did any of that happen? Um, a little bit. Cause I think I thought about it in, well, if I were to report this undocumented versus verbally having a conversation with my direct superiors, what would be the potential, um, actions on their end or reactions um, or will it be um, kind of a placation of, okay, we're sorry this happened to you or, you know, it wasn't that bad type of thing. And so I think that has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is probably the extent I took it. And then I kind of just tucked it away. <laughs> I compartmentalized it. Okay. So then, so um, what I'll say is like, you imagine different scenarios of reporting but, but didn't act on it. And then you compartmentalize. Yes. And I feel like, you know, maybe five or six years ago, earlier in my career, I probably wouldn't have even had the nerve to ask the charge nurse to remove the scrub tech. So I feel like I'm progressing a little bit. And now that I've had, cause I, I think I was when initially when this happened to me at kind of in the earlier part of my, it wasn't, you know, I guess it was mid early mid career that it was half it happened because mm-hmm. I had changed institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of still so shocked because in my training and most of my early career, I had not encountered this um, kind of gender, like almost in your face gender discrimination. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I think it was more like so shocking at first that it happens to you um, that I think at the first couple of times it happened, I didn't even know how to respond. Right. And so um, I think this time around, I definitely felt like I had given it thought that I had at least had um, this part of this first part of the action item down. I still haven't figured out how to deal with the latter half of it because I feel like that's um, still a culture change that needs to happen that is not ready yet. Right. There's a lot there that I think would be worth unpacking. Um, and then we'll finish the model. So what I heard you say was there was a time pass when you didn't even like have the, either awareness or skills to take it as far as you just did. So there's been some degree of growth for you. Yes. So that's awesome and really needs to be recognized because there are people that go their whole careers and don't develop courage to show up in a, in a way that advocates for themselves. They just keep going in and taking the garbage day in and day out. Um, the second thing I wanted to mention there is when you do face some degree of discrimination in this case, or which I basically think is trauma. It's basically, it's traumatic. It's very jarring for, for a human. It's like you are confronted with a threat. Inevitably our, our uh, survival mechanisms kind of come into play. And depending upon where you are with your um, sort of awareness of those processes in your body, it can actually incapacitate you from acting And then what we'll do is we'll heap on more judgment of ourselves for not doing more when in reality, we really weren't capable of that moment at that moment because we were stuck in a survival response. And the four top ones, there there are others, but the four top um, survival responses are fight, flight, flee, I'm sorry, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And I think this is a nice opportunity to introduce that as a possibility. If, if any of those were or still are at play, that might actually be part of why you're, you haven't been able to move forward to a 
more of an active um, advocacy role for yourself and the other women in your department. So we can put a pin in that and then um, return to this, unless there's something you want to, if, if anything is coming up for you with what I just said. No, I think that's exactly right. I think you nailed it. Um, those are definitely things that I've gone through and thought about. Um, but I think just being on that island on your own is very isolating and to feel like you don't have any support um, can be a little bit demoralizing, I guess. Sure. Um, you're absolutely right. It can be very, very scary. Um, so before I kind of go into kind of the next steps, I think it would be useful if we finish this model and just sort of see kind of what, like what your lived experience is actually like based on the thought that this scrub tech is, is trying to bully and belittle me, which he probably was like, we could actually redo the whole model for like, just in, in an interesting way and assume that that's exactly what he was doing and put that in the circumstance line and then see what comes up for you. That might be really interesting for us to do next, but if we keep it like it is, and we keep mm -hmm. the circumstance pretty generic and bland and say, mm -hmm. like, this is the thought you have, mm -hmm. what would you say that your result is or the reality that you've been living thinking that thought? I think certain, um, kind of being more aware of the situation and how prevalent it uh, is occurring. I think even to the extent that some of these very kind of bland things that other, my colleagues will say, mm -hmm. um, I think I'm much more aware of that. For example, one of my colleagues said to another, one male colleague of mine said to another female colleague, oh, I, I, said that I would see this patient because I assumed you wouldn't want to. And I think just being a more in tune with that, I said, well, why wouldn't she want to? And he said, well, it's a big mess. I assume she wouldn't want to operate on her, which in reality, he's saying he didn't think she was capable of operating on her. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you know, it, depending on the, I think the, if it's amongst colleagues where I felt like it's a safe space and you could say, you know, well, you could call them out or call them in a little bit and say, well, did you ask her if she felt comfortable operating on the patient? Um, you know, she's done this before. Um, she's done masses this big before. Why would she not feel comfortable doing this? Um, and so I, I did feel comfortable calling him into that situation so that he could also be made aware that, you know, that's his bias that he's putting onto someone else and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of perpetuating the stereotype that um, we are working so hard um, to neutralize. And I think when I did that, you know, he did kind of back off a little bit. So I feel like in certain spaces, when I perceive that there is, um, safety in, in sort of a safe space to do that calling in. I do try to do that in kind of a non-confrontational way, but I think in a lot of other spaces where there is a hierarchy, because I don't think that the current, my direct supervisor and the supervisor above him is necessarily um, on that same page. Mm. So I think that makes it a, to me, a not safe space in to either, um, to really have any kind of voice of any of the, cause I think the times where I've made a very gentle suggestion that this was happening, um, it was very quickly shut down. Okay. So there, it's really like a cultural thing at your institution. Perfect. Correct. So there's a lot okay. of the, um, they will say the correct words, but in reality, what is happening is not like my immediate boss pretends like he's quote unquote supportive. But then when I ask, to, when I'm the only per other person to ask to go to a meeting, I'm the one put on call, 
even though my two other partners didn't ask to go, but I did, right? Like I'm the one put on call for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and when I ask for, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a competitive feeling threatened situation where I'll ask to do one thing. It's for me, I'm expected to cover everyone else that, you know, no one else has to arrange their own coverage except for me. So you're being singled out. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, but they say that they're being, um, that they're very um, fair with everything. Right. So the, the language is that we're very fair. We're very transparent and they're saying all the right buzzwords, mm-hmm. but in reality, that is not what's happening. And so when it's very hard to say anything against it because they're portraying themselves as the nice um, ally, if you will. Okay. So um, just to kind of circle back to this model, if we keep uh-huh. the thought like that this scrub tech is trying to bully and belittle you up in that thought mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Can you see how that thought is at play? Like what, when you think that, like, what are you making that thought mean about you, if anything? Um. I don't think it means anything about me um, other than I am in tune with the surrounding, my surroundings. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily feel like I'm, I feel like I've been in enough situations that I don't feel like I was over reading or under reading. So this is very critical because Mm -hmm. often we think the thought like they're doing X, Y, or Z to me, but the reason why it's so painful is because we believe them. Like we actually think there's something wrong with us, but what's really important to distinguish for you here is it sounds like that's not the case. It sounds like you think very, like you have your own back, so to speak, like, you know, you're good. You, you believe you're, you're worthy. It's not an issue with your belief in yourself. It's more of, um, you know, uh, like your awareness of the situation has gotten to a point where now you, you like want to do something about it. Does, is that fair yes. to say? Yes, exactly. Cause I think that, um, over time, um, I think I've heard more from the female residents and it's like, even if I don't say anything for, I think if I hadn't been ready to say something on my own behalf, it was more to show them that, you know, they had to take a stand for, their um, kind of how they were being treated Mm -hmm. and that it was not just something that we should accept because as long as we accept it, the culture is not going to change. Right. This is so critical because our thoughts create our feelings. And so if Mm -hmm. we're coming from this feeling of, if we're coming from this thought or an underlying belief that there's something wrong with us and we're the one that has the problem, then the anger is like toxic anger. It cannot go anywhere very productive, but where you're coming from is different. If, as long as I'm reading this correctly, like you're coming from a place of I'm good. They're the ones with the problem. And it's Mm -hmm. like the anger that can be really clean fuel for you to start to do action. Is that how the angry, is that how the angry feels for you? Does it feel like good fuel or does it feel like toxic fuel? It feels like it's like good fuel because it's like enough, right? Like we, why do we get treated differently? I should be able to ask for an instrument and not have to ask three times. I should be able to say that we need to get blood in a normal tone of voice without yelling um, that we're hemorrhaging, right? Like I shouldn't have to change my behavior because they don't take me seriously because of how I look, because I look young, because I'm a woman, right? So all of these Mm -hmm. things that I think um, I had heard um, from senior colleagues to me um, of the thing, quote unquote, like we think that we're, it's 2020, right? Like we have come so far, we shouldn't still be in the situation yet. I think it is not 
we haven't progressed as much as we like to think we have. Of course. So it's like kind of, I think that um, over the last, I would say, couple years, it's really, um, I think hearing, being in, um, being working with the residents more has kind of highlighted that to me and the fact that they are still feeling and seeing this um, culture being perpetuated. Yeah. So this is awesome. And it's such a good example for us to kind of pause and recognize what you are doing. Because when you, when you started talking, it was like from this sort of like description of, I haven't done enough. I haven't, I haven't sent an email to anybody. I haven't spoken up because it doesn't feel safe to me, you know, dot, dot, dot. But Mm -hmm. you also have described a bunch of things that you have done. And I think the important distinction in your model is that this anger is actually working for you. It's not toxic anger. It's like, it's clean anger that is really giving you some fuel to ask the charge nurse to remove the, the scrub tech. Like that takes a lot of courage to do that. So I really want to recognize what you have done. Um, you did document it, whether or not it went anywhere to this point is actually not important. What is important is, is that you went through and you documented it all. So you, you can still do something with that. Like you didn't lose that opportunity. You, um, debriefed your residents. So you didn't miss an opportunity to help show up for them in a way Mm -hmm. that could be very critical and help them feel supported. Because what you described Mm -hmm. to me is that you feel like you're on an Island and you don't have support, but you didn't let that happen for your residents. So what I'm seeing here is that, you know, our, our, our result will tie back to the thought. And since your thought is not, is not supported by something that means something bad about you, your thought actually set is, it still ties back. Your result still ties back to the thought, but it's more of like you are in the process of setting the stage to not be bullied. It may not be done yet, but you're, you're getting there. Can you see that? Yes. Yes. When you put it that way, thank you. Um, that helps a lot. Cause I think it just feels like I, even though you're right, like it feels, I think I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. Like I'm just kind of treading water and not making any forward progress. But I think you're right. I, I am making small little baby steps towards kind of resetting that culture. I guess, you know, we're surgeons. So I guess it, we like to cut it, cut it out and just get it out of there. So I think that's part of the um, impatience, I guess, in that it's not changing faster, or I feel like I'm not necessarily getting the support from um, the people that I should be getting the support from. For sure. Right. We are junkies for instant gratification. hundred (laughs) percent. We're also not trained to look for anything good. We're only trained to look for the bad stuff. So with your mind focused on what you don't have, you're really not able to see what you do have. And what I, what I heard you describe was actually quite powerful, particularly in the way you have started to use your voice, like with the other guy, um, with, when he was judging the, your partner for, you know, the big mass to remove, like you spoke up, you show up for your residents, you listen to them. You described another instance where you listened to them talking about, um, experiences they'd had where this discrimination has surfaced. So there is a lot going on here that indicates some forward momentum. I just don't think you're where you want to be, which is so awesome because now it becomes really clear where you want to be. Like it becomes really clear what you want the result to be. And then you can start to kind of decide things, right? Like you can decide, is this a battle I want to fight? Is this, is this a place I really want to work? Is this like, you get to decide for yourself 
what kind of role you're going to play. Right. And once you know, then you can set a plan because you know, you'll have your own back. Like, you know, you already, you already know that it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. So you're already like way over the hump of where most people start. <laughs> Lots of coaching sessions. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of listening to this. So, I mean, it definitely helps to, and helps to hear. Um, I think we're, as a surgical profession, I think it's starting to be more accepted that we talk about it because I think it was kind of the don't ask, don't tell philosophy mm-hmm. where no one felt comfortable and no one wanted to say that it had happened to them because mm-hmm. it was this notion that we were doing something wrong. But I think, you know, when you hear it or see it and it happening to someone else, and then it's very clear that no, they're not doing anything wrong. They're doing their job. They're just being, um, they're not being respected at their job for whatever reason. Right. So being so clear on that gives you power and then figuring out like what kind of role you want to play. Like, do you want to show up to the system and try to ensure that it's not going to continue that way? or not? Like, what do you want to do? And, and knowing that either way, the choice is yours and you don't owe anybody an explanation. Like right. no, there's no rule that says you have to be the one that solves this problem at this institution. But right. if you want to, if you want to be a player, that's going to at least try and not opt out. Mm-hmm. That's really important to know. And I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you're there yet to be able to share with us if that's something you would want to know or would want to do. I think one of the most powerful things someone said, a colleague, a junior um, colleague said to me when I was kind of going through this frustrating time of, I just feel like I'm swimming upstream and people keep dumping like the rapids just keep going the opposite way. And if there's, it's just keeps, you know, people keep dumping more and more water and I, and just drowning. Um, but, you know, it'd be so much easier if I did X or if I did this instead. Mm-hmm. And the comment to me was, but you're such a good role model. Uh, we need female academic surgeons to stand up for these issues and to kind of make a statement. And it's, so I I do feel a little bit like I owe the next generation of trainees Mm -hmm. um, that as, you know, some of my um, mentors have done for me, because certainly they have paved the way to kind of even get to this part And so I do feel a little bit like I'm still kind of on the fence, I think, but I think when, when she said that to me, I was like, oh, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but certainly that it's eye opening because, you know, I think I had a, you know, one of my recent trainees said, you know, I would never have thought that this field would be possible. Um, And she went into this field because of what I had said to her, like, you know, see what's happening now. And, you know, just because you dislike this field as a trainee doesn't mean you have to run your practice like this. And she actually said that to me, that was 10 years ago, right? So she said this to me recently and said, you know, I almost didn't go into this field because I thought that this was the way it was. And I had, I couldn't do anything about it. I just had to practice in this way until you, the light bulb didn't go off until you said to me that we could, create our own environment and that's what we had to do and so I do feel a little indebted so I'm not ready to jump ship but I still feel like there's um, I guess I need more tools in my tool belt to fight this battle yeah that's what I'm looking for um so and we'll get there I mean you'll get there and you know, I hope that you come back with this because this topic is just going to help so so many of our colleagues I just want to offer a couple things. I hear you when you're saying like, you feel like you, you know, like have 
sort of a responsibility to the generation that's coming up, both male and female, like how Mm -hmm. we act. I am a firm believer in this, like how we act, how we show up as teachers for our, for our surgeons and training, it really matters, right? It really matters how we conduct ourselves because how else are they going to learn a different way to do something unless somebody freaking comes and does it differently. But that doesn't mean you have to stay there at that place where you're experiencing discrimination. And in fact, sometimes having the strength to say, nope, this isn't working for me. Other trainees will see, oh, you mean I have an option? You mean you don't have to stay in a shitty situation? Like, so just kind of give yourself um, some latitude when you're thinking about how you want to show up for the generation you're, who's coming behind you, because that can help inform how engaged you want to be where you currently are. And listen, I'm not attached to what you want to do. It's totally up to you. And as long as you like your reasons for doing it, then I say, go for it. But, um, when we're coming from a place of obligation or a place of like, I, I should do this. It, it can sometimes be inauthentic, Mm -hmm. but if you're coming from a place of like, I want to do this or, um, I, I don't know, I'll leave it at, I want, because I'm kind of Mm -hmm. of a right now. It's like, I want to do this, or you feel like this is something that like brings you alive. Like this, you have like, um, like a sense of it resonates with you or it kind of like increases your aliveness, so to speak, then Mm -hmm. that is awesome because that, that person who's coming from that energy is going to be the one who affects the most change. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention was, is when you do figure out kind of what role you want to play wherever you go, we'll just assume for now that you're going to stay at your institution and continue to kind of be this force for change there. Um, Kind of describing in really granular detail what you want is really useful rather than um, most of the time what we know is what we don't want. And so if you can get really granular about what you want, like I want to be free on the the days I sign up for this meeting. I want so many call days. I want um, such and such person in my room. I want blah, 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 blah. Like really, really granular. It's really, uh, it can be very directive and help you focus your energy towards creating, um, creating that as your reality when you're focused on what you want rather than what you don't want. And then, um, finally, I want to show you something really quickly. And then we have two minutes left and I'm so grateful that you brought this to us today. Uh, I want to show you how you can use the model to create a result. I'm just going to put discrimination culture up in the C line. Mm -hmm. And when you figure out what result you want. Well, like if you could just like make something up off the cuff, staying in your current discrimination culture, what result would you want? A safe culture, I guess, like a... Or a safer culture, I guess. Like a safe culture where uh, people, all people's voices matter? Yes. Okay. So when you're able to get like down to the detail of what you want, you know, this result, then you can plug that in to your result line and you can say, okay, what do I actually need to do? What, you know, with what is I perceive as my responsibility here, what do I need to do to contribute to this result? And that can help you like, like basically write out your plan. Like, all the actions you can imagine you would need to do. It doesn't even have to be like 
now happening in reality, but like, we're just imagining this future self and what she would need to do to make a safe culture where voices matter. And then also what you don't do. And then, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what feeling do I need to feel to generate the energy to do these actions? So things that come to my mind are like, I need to feel committed or Mm -hmm. I need to feel, um, um, Committed was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm sure there are others, but do engaged. you see what I'm saying? Engaged. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Engaged. Um, excited even. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like what feeling valued. <laughs> valued, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you can just plug that into the feeling line and really understand, okay, now what kind of fuel do I need to do these actions? And then you go up the chain and say, what do I need to think to actually feel this way? Mm-hmm. And then that's where the real fun happens. And then you can start to get all these thoughts that pop up that are super directive. And then mm-hmm. once you know, like that's going to be the future, that is the plan. You just put that on rinse and repeat. Okay. Thinking those that's thoughts, awesome. feeling those feelings, doing those things, rinse and repeat. And then, you know, at the end of the day, the way you showed up was contributing to making that result, which is all we ever have control over anyway. Right. <laughs> Right. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you. Okay. Six o'clock. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate y'all for showing up. Let me hit the save button here and stop share. Cool. That's it. We'll see you on Saturday morning. Thanks for coming guys. Nighty night.